Well, greetings from Williamsburg Baptist Church in historic Williamsburg, Virginia. My name is Art Wright, and I'm the pastor here at Williamsburg Baptist Church. And we're so delighted that you're tuning in for this second week of Advent. The sermon was based on a reading from Esther chapter 4, verses 1 through 17, I believe. Uh, The children uh, who led us in worship read scripture from uh, that covered most of the story of Esther, uh, and I and the sermon will reflect that. But uh, the the turning point really does hinge in this moment in chapter four, where Mordecai sends word to Esther: "Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this." And so the sermon will will pivot around that moment in in the scripture reading from the narrative lectionary. The sermon title is "What if it's you?" And so I hope certainly hope that it's meaningful for you. We'll mention we're in the midst of stewardship season, and I never do this on the podcast, but it seems uh, seems right and uh, and maybe meaningful to some folks. Uh, I feel like I'm an NPR <laughs> NPR personality all of a sudden. If you listen to this podcast regularly and find something meaningful in it, I wonder if you'll just take a moment and think, you know, is is there something that you would like to give or contribute to the life of this community of faith? We will put our stewardship link in the podcast if you want to click over to our website and consider um, making a donation or a pledge uh, for the year to come. Um, even if it's small, $5 a month, uh, a cup of coffee, uh, or something like that, uh, it would be meaningful to us. Uh, and we produce this podcast for free and don't really don't expect anything. We, When we started our podcast, it was just a way for us to move church outside of the walls. Um, but we really are so grateful to all of you who listen and reach out to us and let us know that you're listening. And we really do count you a meaningful part of what it means to be Williamsburg Baptist Church. Whether you live here in Williamsburg or somewhere far, much farther afield, we know that, in fact, folks listen all over the world, and so we're beyond grateful. But hope this sermon is meaningful to you in this week as we move together through this very meaningful season of Advent. You should know that a couple times during the sermon, I pause, and it's a visual cue. I'm craning my head and looking around as if I'm on an airplane um, looking at the other passengers. And so you'll hear that a couple times. It won't convey quite as well in the podcast, but it seemed to convey well during the sermon itself. So hope that helps get you oriented to what's happening visually during the sermon. Feel free to reach out, as always, to me at pastor at Williamsburg Baptist if you have any questions or would like to be in touch. Thanks again for listening. God bless. Thanks, Harrison and Rachel. You have me on my thanks, Fran. You're amazing. True story, March 8th, 2020, the date and time is significant. We were at 39,000 feet, somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean. We were flying back home from a trip we had been fortunate to take with Beth's parents uh, to London and Paris on her dad's spring break. 
COVID was spreading around the globe, and if we had scheduled our trip about one week later, I'm, I'm doubtful that we would have been able to make it home. And so we were grateful to be settled into our seats, watching movies on our small screens in front of us, and reading our books as the airplane cruised westbound towards Newark Airport. And about halfway through the flight, one of the flight attendants comes over the intercom and says, just like you'd expect in a movie, are there any medical professionals on board? If so, would you please report to the back of the airplane? And exactly as you'd expect, heads start craning around to see who it's going to be. And no one gets up. Plane full of something like 250 people. No one's walking to the back of the airplane. Now, some of you may know that I teach lifeguarding and CPR and first aid to best camp counselors on occasion. And one of the things that I teach in those courses is that it's totally normal in emergency situations for people, for everyone really, to think, surely someone else is going to step forward and help out. Surely someone with more confidence or better training or better prepared is going to step forward. I just don't feel adequately prepared for this situation. And so... A minute or two passes, and the flight attendant comes back on the intercom again, asking for a medical professional to come to the back of the airplane. And again, heads start craning around to see who walks back. Again, no one. I'm glad someone's taking care of things this morning. Heads are craning around, looking, and I lean over to Beth and I said, I think it's me. So I unbuckle and get out of my seat and feel the eyes of literally everyone on the plane watching me as I walk to the back, wondering what in the world I'm getting myself into. And the flight attendants are in the back, all huddled around a woman on the floor. And of course, the first thing they ask me is, are you a doctor? And in my head, I think, well, not the kind that's helpful in this sort of situation, but if you have some ancient Greek manuscripts, I'd love to take a look later. But instead, I just say this, well, I'm just a Red Cross lifeguarding instructor, but I do teach first aid and CPR. What's going on? And you can see the disappointment on their faces. Lifeguard instructors, some pretty far down their list on medical professionals. But they usher me to the woman who's actually a member of the group we're traveling with, and so we recognize each other, and she's having a breathing emergency, and they bring an oxygen tank, and I start administering emergency oxygen to her. One other medical professional does eventually show up. Uh, With all due respect to Bill Fullerton, she was a dentist, but she seemed even less confident than I myself felt. And so we worked together to try to get this woman calmed down and breathing more regularly so that we could keep her comfortable until we got to Newark Airport. Of course, when we landed, everyone assumed that she had COVID. It's a small wonder that the whole airplane wasn't immediately quarantined for the next week. 
Security met us at the gate and took her to the hospital. Beth and I stayed back to make sure she got her stuff and to explain to the security officials what had happened. Of course, we missed our connecting flight as a result. No good deed goes unpunished. But it gave us time to have a date at one of Newark Airport's many fine restaurants. (laughs) Thankfully, our traveling companion did recover, and she eventually made it back home. The situation that Esther finds herself in today is almost entirely unlike mine in just about every way. Esther is a young Jewish woman living in the Persian Empire in the wake of the Babylonian exile, 6th century BCE, if you're taking notes. Quite surprisingly, and against all odds, she ends up becoming the queen of Persia after participating in this contest and spending a night with the king. That's a whole nother sermon for another time. But she has kept her Jewish identity secret, and so no one in the palace knows that she's Jewish, not even her husband, the king. Now, this Persian king, King Ahasuerus, likes to party hard, and that's another sermon. We may just have to do a whole series on Esther at some point. But the main point is the king is intentionally unaware and ignorant of what's going on in his empire. He's having too much fun to the point where he's hardly involved other than basically signing paperwork that his advisors send across his desk. And so one of his advisors is named Haman, and Haman has a personal vendetta against some of the Jewish people. And he manages to sneak a law in that all of the Jewish people in the empire will be killed after a year's time. It's an awful and unsettling decree. It effectively asks neighbors to kill neighbors. Persians have been living alongside Jewish people for years now, and now they're being asked to do the unthinkable. But of course, they fear those in power if they don't comply with the decree too. It's a heavy moment in the text that rings even more hauntingly so in the wake of the German genocide against Jewish people in the 20th century. And it weighs heavily as well, given the ongoing presence of anti-Semitic views in our own country today. And so a man named Mordecai, Esther's older cousin who happened to raise her, learns of this decree. He puts on sackcloth, he covers himself in ashes, and he goes to the gates of the king's palace in protest. Again, this is another sermon for another day. Friend, I hope you're taking notes for our next worship council meeting. Esther is now the queen of Persia and is living life cozily within the palace. And for all intents and purposes, she's comfortably insulated from the lives of ordinary people, including her Jewish kindred. As best as we can tell, she isn't even aware of the extermination order. And so Mordecai sends a message to alert her, telling her this horrible news that has befallen her people. And he asks her to go to her husband, the king, to beg him to undo this plan. And this is curious to me. Esther's first response, Esther's first instinct is not anger or outrage or despair. It's fear and a desire for self-preservation. She says, if anyone goes to the king uninvited, there is a law that they can be put to death. Only if the king holds out a golden scepter will the person be allowed to live. And to be honest, the king hasn't invited me into his presence for 30 days. Esther fears for her life if she goes in to confront the king. 
I can't help but think that her response is similar to how we often respond to emergencies. How is this going to affect me if I get involved? And so she responds to Mordecai saying that she fears for her life. And he says, look, don't think that you're safe from this decree just because you live in the palace. And then he delivers what is probably the most famous line in the entire book. Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. Perhaps you're right where you're supposed to be for a reason. Perhaps you alone are uniquely prepared and qualified to take this terrible situation and make good come from it. Something flips in Esther's head and heart, and suddenly she's emboldened. She realizes the gravity of the situation, and she takes charge. She sends instructions to Mordecai and says, Have the Jewish people fast for me for three days, and after three days, I'm going to go confront the king. She does. She implements a masterful plan to convince the king to undo the, the decree. She ends up getting Haman trapped in the process, the advisor, Uh, in his own evil plot. And sure enough, the anti-Jewish edict is repealed. Haman gets executed. And it's so much more involved than I can share this morning. There's trickery and irony and foreshadowing. Esther is a masterpiece of storytelling. There's a reason Hollywood movies have been made about it. And if you're bored later today, I highly recommend you reading it. It's not long, but it is a story to be savored. But I couldn't help but think of this famous quote from the Lutheran pastor Martin Niemöller this past week that he popularized in the wake of the Nazi takeover of Germany. You may have heard it. He said, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak up because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak up because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak up. Esther doesn't have to do anything in the story. She doesn't have to speak up. Even though Mordecai claims that she isn't safe in this palace, it could be that by not speaking up, she saves her own skin. It's natural to want to seek self-preservation above all else. Esther's identity is hidden, And in many senses, the power that she possesses is hidden from herself as well. She doesn't recognize the power and privilege that she can exercise if she so chooses. And so the question becomes this. Will Esther stay quiet and keep her identity hidden to try to save her own skin? Will she continue to try to pass as Persian? Or will she effectively come out, aligning herself with the Jewish people, but by doing so also putting her own neck on the line? Will she recognize her own agency and her own power to make a difference in the lives of her people? Esther does indeed make the hard and daring choice, and in doing so she finds that she possesses far more power than she ever imagined. Here we are on the second Sunday of Advent in the year 2022 in Williamsburg, Virginia, of all places, wondering how in the world this ancient story of Esther might speak to us today. Advent, you know, is a time of prayerful waiting and a time to anticipate the coming of hope and peace and joy and love in the world. And we focus on the word peace, shalom, wholeness, 
goodness, well-being for all. It means so much more than simply the absence of conflict. And so Advent becomes a time to recognize the world is not yet as it should be, that peace and fullness and wholeness do not yet pervade the earth. This is the way the world should be, and yet we have a long ways to go. Can you take a moment with me and think of a way the world is not as it should be? Violence, hate, anti-Semitism, poverty and gross inequality, war, ecological disaster, oppression of all sorts. I imagine plenty of others come to mind as well. It's almost overwhelming. But take one, think of one that's most poignant or most painful for you. And now imagine everyone sitting in their airplane seats, craning their heads, looking around and wondering who in the world is going to do something about it. I encourage you to think of things on a more local level too. In what ways do you see brokenness in a friendship or in your marriage or relationship or in a workplace or school or your neighborhood or even in this community of faith? Or maybe it's more personal still, loneliness or lack of purpose. Pick one that hits you in the gut with the force of the problem. Rabbi Rachel Naomi Remen says this, What if you were exactly what is needed in this moment? If so, how would you respond differently to the world? Folks, you have more power and agency than you realize. What if we all inhabited the world in a way in which we recognize that we all have something to contribute? Whatever we've got to offer, maybe we are here for a reason. What if we approached each and every day and each and every moment of the season as if this were the exact right place we're supposed to be? It's not enough to wait it out or hold out hope that help is coming from some other place. Blessed are those who create shalom, wholeness in their families and workplaces and in their communities and throughout the world. Blessed are the peacemakers. I think it's you. I think it's us. Amen. Amen.